morning. How many of us are awake? Is there anybody in this room that is still sleeping? I don't know how anyone could come to meetings like this where you can hear a gentleman by the name of Peter Gregory open up the Bible and to expound from the epistles of John take the scriptures that were written so long ago and make them apply to us today right here in 2009. I don't know how you can come morning after morning and listen to a gentleman like Benjamin Ung who would come before us and would share with us prophecy, the prophetic line of events and how they come in their order to also talk about how we must apply this knowledge of the law that is in our minds and allow it to transition to our hearts. I don't know how anybody can go to a seminar by a man named Jeff Arthur where we are learning one of the most important principles in the Bible, which is to understand the role of relationships and how we ought to conduct ourselves, whether it's dealing with courtship, the family, siblings, or even how we deal with one another as brethren. I know that we love prophecy, and I don't know how it is that we can look at something like prophecy and not realize that in the book of Daniel, one of the things that the Bible shows us as it relates to Babylon and Daniel being there and how one of the very things that took place before everyone bowed down to the image was that music was played. And how is it that we are able to listen to a gentleman like Sean Myers who was able to connect and show us the role of music in its counterfeit sphere as it relates to how the devil's going to use it but then in his true and most beautiful sphere of how God intended for it to be used. How do we not understand that the very breath of the Christian is when we do the work of evangelism? And we go to a class where a gentleman by the name of Scott Moore is able to show us all of the wonderful principles of evangelism, the reasons why, the how-to, and also all the divine mechanics that God has shown us through the last day work of evangelism. Brothers and sisters, how do you hear a message like what we heard yesterday from Brother Sizemore where he showed us very clearly where we are in prophecy? How do we hear messages like this and still remain asleep? Brothers and sisters, my heart truly prays that every single one of us are awake. And at this time, God has commissioned me to give you something that you might go home with. Brothers and sisters, I was praying. I mean, I, I, I really pray and plead. You know, sometimes when people shake my hands, and I don't know, maybe some of you might have thought this to yourself as you shook my hand. But sometimes people shake my hand and some of them say it with their lips, but probably others think it in their mind and they say, man, his hands are so soft. 
does he work? And I promise you, I do work. I just use a lot of lotion. <laughs> but brothers and sisters, I always tell people, if you really want to see the calluses, all you got to do is look at my brain. Because I'm always thinking. When I talk to people, I'm literally praying as I'm talking to them. Because I'm counting on God for everything. I'm like, Lord, put the right words in my mouth. Give me the right body language. Help me to express this thought properly. And I've been praying about this last message because this is the challenge that I'm to give to God's people. And brothers and sisters, you will find that in the ending of Jesus's ministry here on this earth, as Jesus saw that everything was about to close around him, Jesus gave some very important words of instruction to his disciples because he knew that soon and very soon he was about to depart. And brothers and sisters, I believe that many of us are awake. I, I believe that. I believe we are awake. But I also believe that there's a chance that we might repeat history. For history shows us over and over and over again about the stories of individuals who awoke when they were sleeping. And so I want you to contemplate in your minds with me as we're going to review a brief little lesson from our pioneers. And before I do that, I want to simply say this. If there might be one person in this room that has heard the utterance of prophecy, you've heard about the mark of the beast, you heard about the time of trouble, you heard terms like death decree, and you heard all these different things, and sometimes, depending on where we are in our walk with Jesus, when we hear these terms, for many individuals, it doesn't bring up a longing to see Jesus, but it brings up a fear to say, Lord, can I make it? When you hear about the blotting out of sin, God's people having victory over sin, when you hear about all these different things, sometimes think about it. We grew up, some of us, listening to secular music and all these other things. Some of us have been involved in all sorts of sports and different types of things. We heard startling information even about our dress over this weekend. And some of us sometimes will listen to these things and we'll say to ourselves, wow, you know what? I don't know if I can do this. And we become filled with fear. Lord, will I make it? But I'm so thankful for a nice little quote that I remember reading, and it was in a little letter called Life Sketches 196. And in Life Sketches 196, the prophet of God says, we have nothing to fear for the future. Brothers and sisters, we have nothing to fear for the future except that we forget the way God has led us in, his, in our past teaching and in our past history. If we do not learn from what took place in times of old, we are assured to repeat history. 
In fact, we are doomed to repeat history. And so I want you to just gain this little lesson that I will share with you in these closing thoughts as we look to the lessons from our pioneers. Before we do this, as much as possible, I'm going to invite you to kneel with me as we go before God in prayer. As much as you are able to, let us kneel together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, this is the final message to be given to your people during this wonderful FYI meeting. We thank you for the great revivals that took place here. Father, we thank you for truly opening our eyes that we were able to behold wondrous things out of thy law. And Father, we come to you at this time because, Lord, we know that history shall be repeated. But Father, we are careful to remember that there was a positive and a negative aspect to history. Our desire is that our lives may testify of the positive side and not the negative. And so, Lord, you give us your word that we might be guided into all truth and that you may help us. And, Father, we commit ourselves into your hands at this time. Please, Father, remove every distraction. Help us to give unadulterated attention to the things that we are about to see. And may we truly not only be awake, but by your grace and your power, help us to stay awake. For this is our prayer that we ask, dear God. And I start with myself. Help me to stay awake. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Lessons from our pioneers. The same way that you heard a startling message, you heard wonderful truths as they were explained from the books of Daniel and Revelation. And as I saw in your eyes, as I'm sure many of your instructors saw in their eyes, as I saw literally the light turn on in your mind and you saw something that woke you up and got you excited and serious about your walk with Jesus, there was a man who was part of the military and in 1874, this man who was once part of the military, he ended up hearing the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. This man was none other If you can work the slide from the back, that's fine. And brothers, don't, brothers and sisters, don't lose your focus on this. We got to get this to work. This man was none other than a gentleman by the name of A.T. Jones. A.T. Jones, he was in the military, and he was doing as men in the military do. But one day he caught wind of the messages of Daniel and Revelation. And that time came in 1874. And here it is that when he heard those wonderful messages of Daniel and Revelation, he stayed in the military for one more year. 
And then thereafter, he left that military and he continued to study Bible prophecy. He was sleeping, but God's message woke him up. And as Brother Jones was taking this message, brothers and sisters, he took that message so seriously in his heart that he began to advance quickly. He started to memorize scripture, and he was able not only to memorize, but he was able to explain it with Holy Ghost power. To the point that one statement that was said about him by the prophet of God, dealing with the success of Elder A.T. Jones, she says, the Lord in his great mercy sent a most precious message to his people through elders who? E.J. Wagner and A.T. Jones. It says this message, and this message was what message, brothers and sisters? The message of righteousness by faith. Righteousness by faith always belonged to the movement known as Seventh-day Adventists. You can't faithfully preach the third angel's message and exclude righteousness by faith. Because right there, when it says, here is the patience of the saints, here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, right inside of that very text of scripture, you find righteousness by faith. Because Psalm 119, 172 says, all thy commandments are righteousness. And if you and I are keeping the righteousness of God by the faith of Jesus, then that means all the patient saints are experiencing righteousness by faith. And so it is that this message always belonged to the movement, but brothers and sisters, over a period of time, it seemed as if some of us began to become so legalistic. We started to become like dry bones, and we started talking about law, 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 and it seemed as if some of our ministers in the 1800s forgot about God's grace. The Holy Spirit came and took upon these two men, Wagner and Jones, and the prophet of God says this message was to bring more prominently before the world the uplifted Savior, the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It presented justification through faith in the surety. It invited the people to receive the righteousness of Christ, which is made manifest in obedience to all the commandments of God. A.T. Jones was looked upon as God's champion in 1888. God worked through him mightily. But you know, it's amazing. A.T. Jones was awakened to truth, deep truth. A.T. Jones was used by God to do a great and marvelous work. Amen? Amen. But brothers and sisters, A.T. Jones ended up having a problem. This same man, A.T. Jones, as a result of the knowledge and information that he gained, over a period of time, he began to become very critical of the brethren. And as a result of this, over and over again, there were times that he would meet with Uriah Smith and many others, and he would begin to critique them and disrespect these individuals publicly to the point that sometimes Sister White would have to literally get up and rebuke A.T. Jones right there in front of everybody. And brothers and sisters, that's powerful to me because here it is that sometimes we as frail human beings, we will listen to a man of God break down the word. 
And then as a result of that, we convince ourselves in our minds and we say, truly, this is a man of God. And sometimes we begin to even get to the point that we think if they taught right on this, perhaps everything they teach is also right. But the prophet of God says, no, there were times that A.T. Jones taught stuff that was wrong. In fact, she was fearful of certain movements that he made to the point that here was a statement that ended up being made about our dear brother, A.T. Jones. The downfall. This same man, one who was used mightily by God, one who was truly awake, one who was filled with information that was not past truth, but it was present truth. This same man, in the Crest Collections, this is what the prophet of God had to say to him. Dear brother, dear brother, again and again your case has been presented before me. I am now instructed to say to you, you have had a large knowledge of truth. You know, some of us here at this meeting, some of us have been seeking large points of truth. We wanted to understand all the deep things of God so we can know how to express it to others. And brothers and sisters, that's all right if the motivation is right. But listen to this. It says you have had a large knowledge of truth and less, far less spiritual understanding. It goes on to say when you were called to the important work at Washington, you had need of far more of the humble grace that becometh a Christian. Since the Berean spring meetings, your attitude and the attitude of several others has done what? Grieved the Spirit of God. How is it that at one minute, here goes this man who was God's champion? Brothers and sisters, I believe with all my heart, with all due respect, there is not anybody perhaps in this room, and including yours truly, that could touch the knowledge that A.T. Jones possessed. You do not understand. A.T. Jones was a deep student of Scripture, brothers and sisters. And here it is that at one minute while he was God's champion, now he's being told that he has grieved the Spirit of God. It says, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. It goes on to say, in the next quote, she says, though you had full confidence in yourself, what was the problem with A.T. Jones, brothers and sisters? His knowledge caused him, rather than being a humble servant, he became a lifted up, conceited man of the enemy. It says your confidence in yourself, you were out of the path of duty when in order to do what? Criticize and reprove the work of your brethren. You with others interrupted the meeting called especially for prayer and confession and for seeking for a spirit of unity. Had you understood the work that needed to be done at that time, a very different presentation would have been made at that meeting. In the place of victory, there was defeat. The Lord has said, weighed in the balance and found wanting. And brothers and sisters, though A.T. Jones mightily used by God. He was awake. But this same man, A.T. Jones, he lacked something. And as a result of this, he was weighed in the balance and found wanting. Do you know that A.T. Jones died outside of the third angel's message? 
A.T. Jones, brothers and sisters, will not wake up in the first resurrection. He's going to be up in the second resurrection. Started out God's champion. He was awake. But somewhere along the lines, he fell back asleep. Not only A.T. Jones. It says self-exaltation, brothers and sisters, was A.T. Jones's great danger. It says it causes you to swell to large proportions. You trust in your own wisdom, and that is often foolishness. This was the issue with A.T. Jones. And brothers and sisters, it wasn't just A.T. Jones, but there was a man who was part of the movement of God, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. This man was so powerfully used by God that he was a Mark Finley, Doug Batchelor, he was a C.D. Brooks, E.E. E. Cleveland, he was a Peter Gregory, Dwayne Lemon, <laughs> Jeff Arthur. He was all of God's speakers, quote unquote, combined into one. This man was filled with the overflowing of the Spirit of God, and he was one of God's most champion soul winners in these days. And his name was D.M. Canwright. Can write. This man was such a powerful soul winner that when he would show up and do different tent meetings, people would show up by the hundreds. And when he was finished speaking the word of God, people were baptized by the hundreds. This man was used mightily by God. He was an incredible soul winner. But brothers and sisters, brother can write. He understood how powerful his abilities were. He knew that he was gifted. He knew that when he spoke, people listened. He knew that if he put together the word of God rightly, he understood that people would surrender their hearts to Jesus. And he got to a point that one day as he was contemplating in his mind and as the devil began to whisper in his ear, the enemy started to tell him, you know, you would be so much more successful if you did not have this straight message. Your ministry would become so powerful if you would just scale back on some of these deep truths. He was a mighty man when it came to explaining the doctrines of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Mightily used by God. But this very same man started to listen to the whispers of the devil. At one time in his life, he was sleeping, but the word of God woke him up and to the point that once again, he ended up falling into the same trap that Brother Jones did and he began to exalt himself. And before you know it, he started to turn his back even on the testimony of Jesus. And I want you to see how this was spelled out. The prophet of God says, dear brother, do you notice that she always refers to these brethren as family? She calls them brother. In other areas of the, of the writings of Sister White, she calls them my son. She would plead with them. She would cry out to them. Brother and sister, you got to read the spirit of prophecy. She would cry out to them and let them know you're going down the wrong path. Please don't do this. But she wrote this letter. Dear brother, she said, I was made sad to hear of your decision. He decided to leave the movement, brothers and sisters. The same movement that was used to wake him up. Over a period of time, it was the same movement that he ended up leaving. 
She found out about this decision, and she says, I was made sad to hear of your decision, but I have had reason to expect it. She saw the creeping step-by-step step of how he was dropping on certain principles, world holding back certain teachings, denying things that he once confessed boldly. She saw it, and she said, I had reason to expect this. But then she goes on to say, it is a time when God is testing and proving his people. So she understood. But watch this. She says, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. She goes on and she says, only those will stand whose souls are riveted to the eternal rock. Those who lean to their own understanding. It's amazing how we see that same problem over and over again. Those who lean to their own understanding, those who are not constantly abiding in Christ, will be subject to just such changes as this. If your faith has been grounded in man, we may then expect just such results. But if you have decided to cut all connection, listen to her counsel to him. She says, but if you have decided to cut all connection with us as a people, I have one request to make for your own sake as well as for Christ's sake. Keep away from our people. She saw him apostatize. And she said, I have one request of you. For your own sake and for Christ's sake, stay away from our people. She went on to say, do not visit them and talk your doubts and darkness among them. Satan is full of exultant joy that you have stepped from beneath the banner of Jesus Christ and stand under his banner. He sees in you one he can make a valuable agent to build up his kingdom. You are taking the very course I expected you would take if you yielded to temptation. You have ever had a desire for power and for popularity, and this is one of the reasons for your present position. There are people who come into the church today, and they're going to evangelistic schools, and they're trying to gain a knowledge so they can say, I can be the next great Seventh-day Adventist evangelist. We can be recognized as the next great self-supporting center for evangelism. And there are individuals who have that kind of stuff on their mind rather than, Lord, I simply want to be an instrument in your hand to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Ken Wright's desire, brothers and sisters, is many individuals' desire. Popularity, power, that when we speak, people listen. When we instruct, people follow. And that was Ken Wright's problem. In fact... It says, one thing alarms me. Ellen White was talking to another gentleman, and she says, when you are cautioned or reproved, you act exactly as Elder Canwright has acted for years. What was Elder Canwright's problem? When she came to him, when she counseled him, when she showed him, dear brother, you're going in the wrong direction, it says he rose up just as you do. He justified himself and thought himself misjudged and abused because he pleased the taste of the people. He regarded himself as all right. Sometimes people think my ministry is successful because the people love me. Because the people love to listen to me. And I told you that the devil, he has a way of taking our minds. So that way we can, though we were in the world and trying to exalt self there, sometimes we can come in church and still be on the mission to exalt self. And some of us, we preach smooth things. We say things that please people. 
We know the truth in our minds, but we won't say it because we're concerned what will happen to my ministry. We completely forget what the Bible says, that promotion comes from the Lord. We trust in media and we trust in friends and we trust in ministries to say, hey, can you promote me? Can you plug me in? Can you let people know about what we're doing? And brothers and sisters, don't get me wrong. It's amazing. When Jesus found a place to work, Jesus would simply work. And when Jesus would work, eyes would observe. And as they observed his work, people said, what's going on? And then that's when people said, come on down to the center of evangelism and we'll show you. When you find your station and your place to work, brothers and sisters, God promises you. He says, I'll promote your work. God promises, he says, that your gifts will make room for you and put you before great men. We don't need to look for popularity. We don't need to look to try to say things to please men. We have to give people what they need that they might be prepared to meet their God. Can write justified himself. He was trying to please the people. And brothers and sisters, it says, Brother Morrison, talking about another gentleman, she says, Brother Morrison is a what? He's a debater. She said, he is a man who has not had a daily living experience in the meekness and lowliness of Christ. He is in danger of making false issues and of treating them as realities. He will create strife and the result will be dissensions and bickerings. He has many things to overcome and if he fails to overcome them, he will make shipwreck of faith as did Elder Kenwright. It is dangerous to cherish feelings of self-sufficiency. Brothers and sisters, Canwright was awake. Canwright was mightily used by God. Canwright was one of the best soul winners in those days of our church. And Canwright died outside of the faith. And brothers and sisters, Canwright also will be waking up in the second resurrection. And do you want to know what's so sad? He knew it. Before he even died at Ellen White's funeral, while she was laying dead, the prophet was dead in the casket. Here it is that while many came out for that funeral, here comes Elder Kenwright busting through the door, frantic and full of tears. And he went to everybody and he looked and stood over her casket and said, this was a prophet of God. And he told everybody, make sure you follow her and her teachings. And he said this, it is too late for me. Too late. He told his own children, he said, follow the teachings. But he said, it's too late for me. Brothers and sisters, this is not history way back in biblical times. This is history that took place only about 160 plus years ago. And God wants us to understand that simply being awake to truth is not enough. Because I'll tell you what, of all the ministries that were here, when you look at all of the many different evangelists throughout our various conferences, Brothers and sisters, Elder Canwright baptized more than most. 
he was an incredible soul winner. And I don't know if I would ever be an instrument of baptizing others as he was. So therefore, the question is, Lord, when I see solemn things like this, how can I make sure that I stay awake? How can I make sure that I don't fall into the trap that Brother Jones, Brother Wagner, Brother Kenwright, Elder Moses Hull, Elder Belden, who wrote all these beautiful hymns that we have inside of our hymnals today. All of these men were incredible instrument used in God's hands, but all of these men I just named are going to wake up in the second resurrection. What can we do to make sure that we don't fall into this trap? You know the one thing that Elder Kenwright, Elder Jones, Wagner, Belden, Moses Hull, and so many of these other individuals in Adventist history, do you know what they all had in common? They did not do what I'm about to share with you today. And I promise you what I'm going to share with you probably won't be that deep, brothers and sisters, and my desire is not to be deep. I desire to keep things simple. But I promise you this. If you can practice these simple little instructions that I'm about to share with you, by God's grace, you will not end up like Kenwright. You will not end up like Jones. You will not end up like Hull and Belden and all these other great, mighty warriors for God who were awake but ended up falling back to sleep. Turn your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 8. In fact, before we go to John 8, go to Matthew 4. Matthew the fourth chapter. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus makes a statement that if we're all honest with ourselves, we perhaps have never applied this as of yet. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, after Satan was tempting Christ in the wilderness, he comes to Jesus and he tempts him by telling him to take some stones and turn it into bread. And Jesus gives him a most incredible response. He says, but he answered and said, it is written that man shall not what? Live by bread alone, but by how many words? Every word out of the mouth of God. The prophet of God says over and over again how rarely it is that God's people follow this instruction. Brothers and sisters, do you know how easy it is to lean to our own understanding? When it comes to dress, when it comes to diet, when it comes to where we worship, when it comes to how we worship, when it comes to shopping, when it comes to where do we choose to live, when it comes to the occupation that we choose, when it comes to all the different things that we have to make choices for in life, it's amazing how rare it is that we open up our Bibles and say, Lord, where's the counsel? Where's the instruction? It's not that it's absent for instruction. Brothers and sisters, I showed you yesterday how we can take a principle like 1 Corinthians 10, 31, eat and drink to the glory of God, and we can take that deep principle and make it so simple that we know how to apply it to our grocery shopping. Did we not go over that yesterday? Yes. Brothers and sisters, do you know that the word of God can guide you in every step of your life? But the problem is that we all have this disease 
And this disease is called some of self, some of Christ. We all have it. There are decisions that we make. We talk about surrendering all. We talk about, oh, give it all to Jesus. We talk about let go and let God. And we love to use some of these Babylonian cliches. But we don't understand what these things really mean. And the way you can find out is when you read Steps to Christ, page 47. And the prophet of God says, many are inquiring, how do I make the surrender of myself to God? And she goes on to tell us that it's by your choices. The surrendering of oneself, brothers and sisters, when you sing that song, I surrender all, what you're saying is, I surrender all my choices to you, Lord. You get lonely and you say, I'm looking for a life partner. You do not just choose a man. You do not just choose a woman. God has to choose him. You say it's time to go to college. You can't just choose a college because you're thinking about scholarships and all of this stuff and, well, they got this program and that program. You have to let God make the choice for you, which means you got to go back to the Bible and spirit of prophecy. I'm getting very practical with you, brothers and sisters. We have to go to the word for every aspect of our lives. And what happens is meetings like this, brothers and sisters, I've done too many meetings like this. I've seen it over and over again. You come to meetings. You give people the word. You give it to them with power. Not from self, but from heaven. The people receive the word. They say, oh, yes. And all sorts of commitments are made. All sorts of dedication. Oh, I'm going, I'm going, by God's grace, I'm going to change this. I'm going to change that. I'm going to be this kind of husband. I'm going to be this kind of wife. I'm going to be this kind of child. And I'm going to be this kind of brother or sister. And I'm going to be this kind of church member. We say all these things. But over time, we find out that it was just emotion. In John chapter 8, Jesus gives us one of the secrets. How can we make sure that we do not repeat history? How can we make sure that this awakening effect that we have right now in our experience, I, I heard so many people, I'm sure the other speakers have heard it, I've had so many people come to me over these past few days and say, Pastor Lemon, now let me pause right there. And I'm so glad the camera's recording. I understand that when an individual shows a pastoral love towards you, perhaps it's natural for you to refer to them as pastor. I respect that, and I understand that. But I want to say officially for the record so that no one would say Brother Lemon is self-appointing himself to things he has not been. I am not a pastor of any church. I have not gone to school and received my degree to be a pastor. I am an ordained elder in the worldwide body of, seven, of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I was ordained years ago in New York. But I am not an official pastor. If you call me pastor because you believe I have a pastoral love and care for you, I'm fine with that. But I'm letting you know officially that I am not a pastor. Do you understand that? Amen. I'm so glad that you understand that. But individuals have come to me and they would say, Pastor Lemon, they would say, you know, my life has been changed. They would say, I've heard things that, that has touched me and that has moved me and all these different things. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you from my heart, I have gone to meetings where I have been touched and I have been moved. And I know how it is that one minute you make a decision, but shortly after you get home, 
and the trials of daily life once again become a reality to you and you leave from this mountain experience that we've had. That all of a sudden these commitments we made go right out the window. John chapter 8 and verse 31, Jesus shows us one of the best ways to make sure that we do not make shipwreck of faith like Kenwright, like Jones, and like many others. It says in John chapter 8 and verse 31, the Bible says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. The problem with many of us is that when we came to these meetings, we did not have much of a study life, some of us. But throughout these meetings, we have been going all through the Bible. And then what happens is that when we go back home over a period of time, we fall right back into the rat race. Got to hustle at the job. Got to make that money because we're in a bad economy. We're in a recession. I got to do what I got to do to survive. And the devil loves it. You know why? Because Great Controversy, page 519, the prophet of God says, Satan well knows that those whom he can get to neglect prayer and the searching of the scriptures will be overcome by his attacks. She says he therefore creates and invents all sorts of things to keep us from spending time in prayer and in the searching of the scriptures. Gospel Workers, page 100, she says, guard jealously, guard jealously the hour of prayer, searching of the scriptures, and self-examination. How many of us are guarding jealously, brothers and sisters? Jesus is trying to tell us, continue in my word, because there are individuals that have gone to a certain point in their studies. Now, I especially say this to many of us who are leaders. Leaders, preachers, teachers. Don't ever, don't ever get comfortable where you are. Always realize and recognize that there's more for you to know, more for you to learn, and be willing to take it as others give it by God's grace as long as they give it in love. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes people don't give me truth in love. But I'll still take it anyhow and I'll just pray for them that one day they'll get it right. And that's all right because volume four of the testimonies, page 67 and 68, under the subject co-workers with Christ, she says that very point. She says there are many of us who will do the work of evangelism and she says we will do it so bad and blunder the work. But she says, but there are some individuals who are so hungry for the truth that even though we blundered the work, in other words, we expressed it wrong, we taught it wrong, she says there are still some that have, are so hungry for the truth that she says that they will still take it anyhow and learn from it. But watch this, on page 68 she says this, she says, however, she says, but if we understood the human mind and human nature, she says, where we only won one soul to Christ, she says, we could have won 20. So I'm not encouraging anybody to keep messing up the work of God. But thank the Lord that even sometimes when we are perhaps sincerely even going out and doing the work and we might fumble here and fumble there, the Spirit of God makes up the difference and other people can still accept Jesus anyhow. I praise God for that kind of grace. 
but our goal is to strive for perfection. Amen? Amen. Continue in my word. Jesus says, do not fall asleep because Canwright got to a point that he said, I'm so learned, I need no more instruction. A.T. Jones got to a point that he said, I am so learned and I'm so firm in what I know that I need no more instruction. They began to reject even the prophet of God, coming to them as a mother. They began to reject. I don't need any more instruction. Why should we continue in God's word? I want to read a quotation to you that, brothers and sisters, when I read it, it startled me. Volume 5 of the Testimonies. Page 707, I want you to listen to this because, brothers and sisters, we need to understand that it's not enough for us to simply know the word, but we have to continue in God's word. In volume 5, page 707, the prophet of God says this, I have been shown that there are many, that I have been shown that many who profess to have a knowledge of present truth know not what they believe. Brothers and sisters, you will be amazed at how sometimes even a presenter can come up and break down all the word, but sometimes we can do it because it's been rehearsed. It's just like when we have friends who come and visit us from the Kingdom Hall. They have a whole list of teachings rehearsed. But when you throw them off track and you say, well, actually, I don't want to talk about the deity of Christ. Let's talk about the law of God. What happens? All of a sudden, they say, whoa, you, you threw them off. They weren't prepared for that. But yet I heard over this weekend that 1 Peter 3.15, it should be our motto. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always. Now, my brother had a version that said defense, but in another text, it actually says give an answer. And both of them are right because sometimes people will ask you questions and you need to give an answer. Other times, people will attack what you believe and you need to let the word of God defend itself. But the scripture tells us, be ready how often? Always, brothers and sisters. And as long as you're connected to Jesus and you're having a good study life, God will show you how to do it. She says, I have been shown that many who profess to have a knowledge of present truth know not what they believe. They do not understand the evidences of their faith. They have no just appreciation of the work for the present time. And watch this, when the time of trial shall come. There are men now preaching to others. So this includes preachers. It says there are men now preaching to others who will find upon examining the positions they hold that there are many things for which they can give no satisfactory reason. She says, until thus tested, they knew not their great ignorance. Brothers and sisters, it's important to be humble in your understanding of God's word. It's all right to be excited. And to share God's truth, God's truth should put joy in your heart. But brothers and sisters, when you begin to exalt yourself because of the knowledge you have, brothers and sisters, don't you dare think for one minute that you're going to go back to your respective churches. And you're going to come with this, aha, look what I learned over this weekend and what you don't know. We should go back to our churches in the most humble, servant-like attitudes and say, listen, Something happened to me over this weekend. There's no way in the world I could have something this good and not share it with you. Tell me what time you got that we can go ahead and talk about these things. 
we must remain humble. Listen to this. It says, when separated from those of like faith and compelled to stand singly and alone to explain their belief, they will be surprised to see how confused are their ideas of what they had accepted as truth. This is why we've been hearing over and over again in echo form, study the word, get into the word. We have to study the word. But brothers and sisters, does God simply want us to study the word? No. You see, having a knowledge of truth, I've heard repeatedly John 17, 17 throughout this weekend, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And yes, that's true. But brothers and sisters, here's the real issue. I heard the quotation this morning. The real issue is, there are many of us who have a knowledge of truth, but the problem is we're not practicing it. And man shall not live by bread alone, but by how many words? Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Brothers and sisters, I'm being real serious with you. You and I must get to a point that every point and choice of our lives must have the approval of God. And the only way we can know that is by his word. You see, Great Controversy 608 says, as the storm approaches, it says a large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message, but who were not knowledgeable of the truth, no, that's not what the text says. It says, but who were not sanctified by obedience to the truth will abandon their position, join ranks with the opposition, and become the most bitterest enemies of their former brethren. I said, Father in heaven, I can't be counted amongst that number because I used to think a lot about myself because I could quote scripture and I could quote spirit of prophecy. I thought a lot about myself. But God showed me, if you think that's going to get you in heaven, you are absolutely wrong. So therefore, when we talk about continuing in the word, Jesus is not saying keep studying only. Jesus is saying the way you continue in my word is that what you learn, you apply. And then what you learn, you apply. And then what you learn more, you apply. In fact, we are told that God will not even give us greater light until we apply the earlier light that we have already received. No wonder some of us are stuck and just can't understand the prophecies of Revelation 17. Some of us just can't understand it. Why? Because we have not yet taken the previous words that we have learned and have put it into practice. God said, I'm not going to give you any more. He who is faithful with that which is he who is faithless with that which is least will be faithless with that which is much. But he who is just with that which is least will be just with that which is much. God says, "Look, if I've already given you just a little bit of truth to practice, and you won't practice that, why should I give you a whole lot more? Learn to practice that which is least first, and then I will graduate you to more light." So that if you find that you're struggling, you're saying, I don't know why, but I can't seem to understand these certain points of Bible truth. No matter how many times I read it, brothers and sisters, what God is trying to say to you is that maybe you need to get that hour of self-examination that you are to guard jealously. Examine yourself and find out, wait a minute, am I living up to all the light that I already have been given? And if you're living up to the light you've already been given, I promise you God will give you more light. But the next thing that God tells us, he says, don't just continue my word. He says, but I want you to continue in something else. I call this message the three continues. 
Colossians chapter 4. In Colossians chapter 4, there is something else that God tells us. Now, I'm going to tell you the truth. The next FYI, we need to hear more about this. I believe we heard a lot about studying the word. I, I, I mean, that was just all over the place. But brothers and sisters, we can become imbalanced if we forget this point right here. And we need to make sure that we are giving a very deliberate emphasis to this. Colossians 4 and verse 2 tells us to continue in something else. It says, continue in what? In prayer. It says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Brothers and sisters, what's your prayer life like? Do you know that there are preachers and teachers of righteousness who have less than two minutes of prayer? Per day? It's kind of like one of those things you get up in the morning. Thank you, Lord, for waking me up this morning. Please be with me and my family and watch over us, we ask in Jesus' name. Probably about 10 seconds or so. And then we go before our food and we say, Heavenly, I don't know if some of us still repeat the little children's prayer. God is grace, God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. But we say some type of thanks for our grace, for our, for our food. And then perhaps some of us get in our cars as we get ready to go on our journeys of the day. And we say, Lord, be with me as I travel on the road. In Jesus' name, amen. And then we do our work and we do whatever it is we're doing during the day. And then we come back home. And perhaps when we get in our car and come back home, we pray once again. And we give that little 30-second prayer. Lord, please abide with me and keep me and grant us safe traveling mercies. Jesus' name, amen. We get home. We have our final meal of the day. And then we say, Lord, thank you again for this food I'm about to eat. And then finally, some of us have family or evening worship. And that evening worship, once again, dear God, we can study the Bible for hours, but it seems like to talk and to commune with Jesus is still a foreign thing, yea, even for preachers and teachers. Now, you want to know what's so deep? Golgotha was an example of what God's people are going to go through, not simply what Jesus went through. And therefore, the question would be, where did Jesus find his ability to look Golgotha in the face and take it head on? Where did Jesus get the strength to go to Golgotha? And brothers and sisters, one of the areas that we find, he found it in Gethsemane. You read Desire of Ages and read that chapter of Gethsemane, and you will see that that's where the real battle took place. Because the battle that Christ went through is the battle that every single one of us will go through. The battle against self. Jesus had to battle with the point, Lord, do I do what I want to do or do I let your will be done? He said, Father, I don't want to go through this. This is too hard. But nevertheless, not my will. Thy will be done. It was a tremendous battle to the point that the Bible says that drops of blood would come commingled with his sweat. Jesus was agonizing. But brothers and sisters, did Jesus open up his Bible and begin to read more as he was agonizing? Go to Luke chapter 22. In Luke, the 22nd chapter, the Bible does not leave us in secret. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 22, 
Here's what the Bible says. Because the example of Christ in his battle in Gethsemane is the example for you and I as we battle with self in our spiritual Gethsemane as we are preparing for Golgotha. Because, brothers and sisters, Golgotha is coming. It says right here in Luke 22, starting at verse 41, the Bible says, and let's read it together. It says, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Verse 44, and being, being in agony, he studied. He prayed more earnestly. When Jesus was in agony, brothers and sisters, the Bible says he prayed more earnestly. What's your prayer life, brothers and sisters? You think that some of these la-di-da prayers that we have is going to be able to take us through the battle of Gethsemane? We're going to have to know what it means to spend time with Jesus on our knees, talking to him, as the spirit of prophecy says in Steps of Christ, as one talks with a friend. We must learn the secret and the science of prayer. Brothers and sisters, I don't know who's going to do it. And I might have to if nobody else does. But I'm thankful to see studies on how to study your Bible. <coughs> But brothers and sisters, I'm telling you right now, along the, a companion study needs to go with it, the secret science of prayer. Because there is a dynamic. There is a reason why the spirit of prophecy calls prayer a science. And we would do well to study what really constitutes true, successful, powerful prayer. And don't worry about it, brothers and sisters. You know, you ought to know by now, by the way I speak, I'm not talking about adopting stuff from Babylon and trying to bring it in here. I'm not talking about trying to speak in tongues or feeling like you can yell at God and make him answer you. Oh, no, brothers and sisters, that kind of prayer will never work. You can't yell at God and tell him to do anything. God is God. But there is a science to prayer. And Jesus, the Bible says, when he was in Gethsemane, he continued in prayer. You see, there are going to be certain issues in life that you are not just simply going to be able to open your Bible and find a text to deal with it. And there are some of us that we get so busy in Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, and we have no prayer life. And Jesus is trying to show us that prayer, the spirit of prophecy says, is the breath of the soul. Do you know what it's like to not breathe? You die. In fact, she tells us that when we study the word that we ought to pray. You can read this in Testimonies of Ministers and Gospel Workers right on the subject of how to study the Bible. And here it is that right there, it talks about how the prayer life has to be there connected to the study because she says that the prayer gives power to practice what you study. I mean, think about how many preachers. Did A.T. Did Jones lack knowledge of the scripture? Did Ken Wright lack knowledge of the scripture? But I wonder what their prayer life was like. How do you stay connected to Jesus in communion with him in the most holy place and still turn your back on him? I don't know how you do that. I can't even imagine that. So therefore, God says, stay in my word. Continue. Don't stop. I promise you this. And brothers and sisters, I'm not a prophet. I'm just a faithful student of God's word. I promise you this. 
all hell fire is going to break loose in your life when you leave this place. Some way, somehow, the devil got a temptation designed, catered, and manufactured just for you. Because he has to get you off of this mountain that you are now on. You're awake. He must bring you back down to sleep. So I can promise you it's going to happen. But those who continue in God's word, those who continue in prayer, will engage the secret weapons of God on how to overcome the kingdom of the devil. Finally, John 15 in verse 9. What is it that really makes prayer work anyhow? What is it that really makes the application of God's word work anyhow? It is found in John 15, chapter 9. In John 15, chapter 9, the Bible simply says this. John 15 and verse 9. The Bible says, let's read it together. As the Father have loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. Brothers and sisters, it was 17 years ago that I was baptized into this movement. I am so excited about my walk with Jesus, I don't know how to contain myself. I have found out who he is as a friend. Brothers and sisters, I've lost scores of friends. When you, when you truly pledge your life to Jesus, you will lose friends. There are family members that cannot communicate with me because we have nothing in common anymore. I don't cut them off. They cut me off. And that kind of stuff hurts. But when you can feel the touch of Jesus on your shoulder, saying, I know what it's like to have family members turn their back on you. Jesus says, I know exactly what you're going through. And Jesus says, and I know how to take you through it. You see, when you behold Jesus, I was sharing with the group for, and for breakfast this morning, and I was talking about how we must understand that when we study our Bibles, please do not simply look to understand a doctrine. You could miss so much. When you study your Bible, you are seeking to understand the character of God. As you understand the character of God, you get the best of both worlds because you're going to understand the doctrine and you're going to understand the one who gave the doctrine. You know, there are individuals right now who are very knowledgeable upon truth. Very knowledgeable. But they don't understand the character of God. There are individuals who will look at some of the things I heard, or heard over this weekend about some of the challenges, even within our midst, even within our own church. I heard about it. But you know what's amazing? There are certain individuals that also identify the challenges and problems in the church. You know what they do? They say, you know what? These apostates that we see in our church is getting so gross and so bad that you know what we need to do? We need to leave this church and we need to go ahead and start up our own little movement. And this way we can form a more purer, holier group of people so that we can truly get ready for the coming of the Lord. 
There are a lot of people who think like that. Now, what they don't realize is they're fulfilling prophecy. Because First Selected Messages, page 179, tells us exactly that. She says there will be a group of individuals who will talk about the close of probation and the shaking, and they will talk about the need of coming out of the seven-day Adventist church to form a church filled with a group of purer, holier people. She goes on to say, this is what Satan wants. She then goes on to say, if this movement were to have success, she says, we would witness one of the most greatest fanatical movements ever witnessed among Seventh-day Adventists. And brothers and sisters, we are living in that time. You see, there are many individuals who break away, but what they don't understand is that they're telling on themselves because John chapter 10 tells us, Jesus came to the people. He said, I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the door. And then what did Jesus end up doing? Jesus said he did a comparison of two types of people. You find this right in John chapter 10. He says there are two types of people. He said there are some groups of people, and what they do is he said they are recognized as hirelings. And he said the hireling, when he is working amongst the sheep, he says that when the hireling sees the wolf coming, and you can take out the word wolf and call it apostasy. He says the hireling, when he sees the apostasy come within amongst the sheep, it says that the hireling runs away and leaves the sheep to be scattered. And then he goes on to say the hireling does that because the hireling is just a hireling. And he does not care for the sheep. But then Jesus says, but I am the good shepherd. And he says, and I am willing to lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus did not leave Israel even though he saw apostasy in it. What Jesus did is he put his life on the line that the sheep might be saved. How many of us are willing to lose everything so that we can see the salvation of others? You know who was like that? was a man by the name of Moses. When you read Exodus 32, I love that text. You read Exodus 32, the Bible tells us how Moses saw all these stiff-necked Israelites, hard-headed, don't want to do anything, don't want to obey the word of God. They brought in all sorts of apostasy. And then here it is. Moses sees this. And God tests Moses. And I believe there are many men today who have been tested and unfortunately have failed. In Exodus 32, it says that God went to Moses and said, Moses, I will wipe out these children of Israel, these apostates. And God said, and I will set up a new nation for you and put you at the head of it. Now, if there were some men today living today and God presented an offer like that, and God would say, sir, since you're so enlightened on present truth, I'll wipe out the whole seven-day Adventist church, get another one started, and put you as the general conference president. And you know what's so funny? Do you know how many of those men would take that position? They would take it and say, oh, yeah, put me at the head, even though they were preaching in their church saying, we're not supposed to have a head. But now here it is, they're taking it. But what did Moses say? Did Moses say, all right, Lord, hook me up, sign me up? Give me the new nation. Kill the apostates. No, brothers and sisters. When you read Exodus 32, the Bible says, Moses said, Lord, Lord, please, don't destroy them. And if you must destroy them, Moses says, destroy me. 
And brothers and sisters, please understand, Moses used specific language. He did not just say, Lord, kill me, but he said, blot me out. What Moses was saying was, take my name out of the book of life. In other words, Moses was saying, I love the apostate so much that I would lose out on eternal life that they might be saved. That's what Moses was saying. How do we know? Because Moses was a type of Jesus. And when Jesus got hung on the cross, the Bible says, cursed is the man that hangeth on a tree. And when the man hangs on the tree, he is not cursed of the devil. He was under the curse of God. And any man who dies under the curse of God has no hope of a resurrection. Why do you think a bunch of Israelites said, crucify him? Think about it. In John 8, 58, when Jesus called himself God, the Bible says they picked up what? Stones. They knew the law. They knew that the way you kill Jesus if he violated the law and called himself God was that you stone him. But here it is, Pilate asked, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And here it is, they pick up a Roman practice. But they also understood a principle from the Old Testament, and they said, no, don't say stone him because he might pull off another miracle and rise. Put him under God's curse. Pilate, crucify him. They were diabolical devils. They knew what they were asking for. They were saying, put him under God's curse because there's no way he will be able to fulfill what he said in John 2 when he said, tear down this building, and in three days I'll build it back up. They were scared to death. Put him under God's curse, and there's no way he can rise up against God's word. That's what they did, and that's why the story of the resurrection is so powerful. Brothers and sisters, Jesus was willing to suffer second death to save mankind. Moses was willing to suffer the second death to save mankind. What kind of love do you have? We must beg and plead and cry out to God, Lord, fill me with your love. You know, it's so funny. You know how we always say faith without works is dead? Do you know I've hardly ever heard somebody finish the statement? You always hear people say faith without works is dead. And we are a faith works people. But brothers and sisters, it's like trying to make a carob cake without the key ingredient, which is carob. It's like trying to make a banana pie without the key ingredient, which are bananas. Brothers and sisters, you will never have the kind of faith or works that God wants you to have until you have the last ingredient found in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6, as we bring this to a close, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6, Jesus shows us the key ingredient that makes all of this real. It says in Galatians 5 and verse 6, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. Faith that works by love. Jesus is speaking to every single one of our hearts today. And he's saying, dear child, you are about to come down from off the mountain. Jesus is telling us 
that you are about to leave this place and you are about to go back to the daily duties of life. And Jesus says, I don't want you to repeat history. Not that side. Jesus says, I want you to continue in my word. When you're by yourself, nobody else is there. Continue in my word. Don't just study, but study and apply. And study and apply. And study and apply. There will be times that you are going to say, you know what, Lord? I just studied something. I just found out something from the Bible and spirit of prophecy. I can't refute it, but it's hard to practice this, Lord. What am I to do? Jesus says, continue in prayer. Because if you pray and commune with me, I will show you, I will impart to you the power to obey what you read in my word. Continue in prayer. Golgotha is coming, but we have nothing to fear for the future except as we forget the way the Lord has led us in his past teachings and past history. Jesus is trying to tell you today, continue in my word. And brothers and sisters, you will find that along this Christian journey, there are going to be times that you might practice, you might preach, and you might teach, and you might say things to others. But Jesus says, make sure that all of your exercises of faith and works is seasoned with my love. Continue in my love. Let everything that you do be seasoned with the salt of the love of Jesus Christ. Tell the truth in love, Jesus says. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you right now. From the outside looking in, there may be some who practice certain things in diet. And there are two types of individuals who practice reforms. There are some individuals who do dress right, but they long to put on the clothing of the world in their minds. There are some people who eat right, but they long for the flesh pots of Egypt. There are some people who might have even gone to the steps where they got out of the city and they live in the country, but they long for the good old suburban life. There are individuals who made a decision to say, okay, I'm going to study my Bible, but in their minds they're longing to pick up that video game. Brothers and sisters, whatever it may be, Jesus says, when you love me, you'll keep my commandments and they won't be grievous. You won't have this hatred or animosity in your heart. You need to be crying out, Lord, pour out your love so that as I do these things, I will do it and find joy in it. Change your I got to to I get to. No longer is it that I got to go to church every Sabbath, but I get to go to church every Sabbath. No longer is it I got to read the Bible in the spirit of prophecy, but you get to read the spirit of prophecy in the Bible. No longer 
longer is it I gotta dress right and eat right and do this and do that, but now I get to do all these things because Lord, I love you. One evangelist tells a story like this. There's an evangelist who tells a story about a young lady and a man who were courting. This young lady was in college And as this young lady was in college, she was reading a book. And this book, it had all sorts of information in it. And when she first opened the book and she was reading it, she didn't like the book. She felt the book was boring. But then one day while she was strolling through college, she ended up meeting this college professor. And as she met this college professor, they began to court one another. And this young lady began to develop such a deep feeling towards this man that in her mind, perhaps she was ready to accept him as her husband if he would ask. And then here it is, one day, she found something out that was amazing. She told her professor, she said, you know what? Your name is the same name that's on one of my college class books. And then the professor said, oh, I wrote that book. And when the young lady saw that the professor wrote the book, the young lady said, really? And brothers and sisters, do you know that within a span of a few days, that sister read the book from cover to cover? What made the difference? She knew the author. She had a connection with the author. I know that the Bible can be boring to some people. I know that the spirit of prophecy can be boring to some people. But brothers and sisters, if you study it with a desire to come to know Jesus and not simply to prove points and learn doctrines only, you will meet Christ and connect with him in such a way that you will love these books and it'll be the greatest thing that you have ever studied. You will, and I can attest to this, there are days that go by that if I don't study the word, I physically feel sick, brothers and sisters. You can get to the point that the word of God and time and prayer with Jesus becomes so special that nothing else in the world matters anymore. And Christ is making that appeal to you today. He's saying, listen, You're going to come down off this mountain. And Jesus says, and there might be some things I'm going to allow to take place in your life to try you. But he promises, he says, if you stick to my formula, continue in my word, continue in prayer, continue in my love. Jesus says, if you do that, he says, the story we read about of these men will not be your story. He says, I will keep you from falling and I will present you faultless before my father. I don't know about you, but I'm going to continue. I have resolved in my mind and my heart, though I might lose all by God's grace, I'm going to continue. If it's your desire to say, Jesus, please help me that I might continue. Lord, don't let me come down this mountain so that I can just go back into the rat race of life. 
Help me, Jesus, to continue, to continue. If it is truly your desire to say, Lord, help me to continue. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. If it's truly our desire, brothers and sisters, to say, yes, I'm going to continue by God's grace. I'm going to invite you to kneel with me as we pray. Father, we're no longer simply singing the song, but Father, we have made a decision today to truly surrender all. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Father, I'm praying on behalf of my brothers and sisters, as well as myself. Please, Lord, help us that we truly will continue. Help us to learn from the past. Help us, Father, not to repeat the negative side of history. But may all that we say, all that we do, truly be to the honor and glory of God. Continue to keep us, Lord, as we are preparing to leave this mountain. And as we continue in your word, as we continue in prayer, as we continue in your love, seal us that we will truly be a people prepared to meet our God. Abide with every family and every individual under the sound of my voice. And may your Holy Spirit take residence within. And may our minds be taken heavenward. For we ask these things, Father, with the forgiveness of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.